0: it's great to see you good to be together this Sunday once again let's uh, open up with a word of prayer ask that God would bless this next hour father we are here to worship you and to hear from you Uh, Lord we ask for your help we uh, first of all ask that you would help us to remember that you are the creator of the universe that you are present. Lord, please uh, teach us the fear of the Lord. Help us to uh, come and grow in our awe of you. As we uh, speak about your word, help us to remember that it is your word. We are not in charge of it. Uh, You are in charge of us, and you exercise your authority over us through what you say here. And so, Lord, please keep us humble. Help us even to Study your word, in a sense, on our knees. Help us to remember that it is a gift from you to us, that you don't have to speak to us and you don't have to stoop down and communicate who you are to us. Uh, We are extremely privileged to have someone who is so important, who uh, makes the kings of the world look like little pieces of dust. To have someone like that love us enough to reveal himself to us, Lord, we are grateful. Uh, we ask that you would show us the beauty of Christ today, that you would remind us that it really is about his glory, and that you would cause our hearts to beat harder with love for him. And uh, Lord, help us to appreciate what you've done for us. Uh, you have saved sinners and given us forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life and we pray that we would not take that for granted today that but that we would come away from our time together more amazed by the gospel than when we came in lord you know where our hearts are prone to wander we feel it and so uh, those of us who are wandering please call us back please make sin look ugly to us and obedience look beautiful because that is real that is what is real And uh, Lord, please even just bless our equipping hour now. Please, uh, we ask that uh, we would um, put what we are learning here into practice and that it wouldn't just be information to know, but it would be truths to uh, transform our lives. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, uh, welcome to equipping hour. Uh, We are getting together for an hour before our service to uh, really talk about being disciples who make disciples. And so that is uh, the purpose of our time together. We want to be equipped to uh, be followers of Christ who know how to develop relationships with others that help them follow Christ. And uh, specifically, uh, what we're doing in this particular hour together is um, providing training that we hope will help you be part of a new opportunity that we're putting in place here at uh, Cornerstone called uh, T-cells, sounds uh, a funny name, but transformation cells. Uh, What are T-cells? I thought that I could just highlight real quickly some of the explanations I've given of T-cells over the past uh, several weeks. I'll read them, and if you have any questions at the end of what I mean, please let me know. You should have gotten a, um, a handout. If you didn't get a handout, um, you can ask someone for one of those handouts. But uh, obviously, uh, whenever you're starting something new, it can be hard to communicate what you mean, and so you have to work over and over to make sure that we all have the same understanding of what we're talking about. And so we're starting uh, these things called T cells, and uh, we need to make sure that we know what they are. and uh, It's not really complicated, of course. The first word is transformation, and that gives you an idea of what these groups are about. Personal transformation in community with other believers is the purpose of transformation groups. Uh, They're groups of three to four men or women, and they're gonna meet twice a month at at least. And um, the goal is to help each other grow. So um, I hope you're hearing Help each other grow, help each other become more like Christ, which is something that should be true of every ministry, obviously, that we have here at the church and all of our relationships. But these are going to be groups that meet together intentionally to help each other do that. In class number two, I said uh, this class is about discipleship, or you could say counseling. Since we've got a lot of doctors, discipleship's like preventative care in a sense, and counseling's more reparative or restorative. Uh, it Galatians 6.1, someone's stuck and you're trying to help them get unstuck. And transformation groups are going to be a little bit of both. So uh, transformation groups are going to be in between discipleship and counseling. Uh, so uh, the picture of going to someone for counseling, um, you might picture that in your mind. This is not going to be quite that high a level all the time, but it's going to be like friends trying to do that with one another. And sometimes we have problems that will be addressed, and sometimes it will be more everyday help. But you'll come to transformation groups knowing that you're trying to help each other by confessing sin to one another, by confronting sin in one another's life, by encouraging one another about the dangers of sin and helping each other be holy, uh, providing accountability. At class number three, I talked a little bit about the difference between uh, life groups and, Transformation groups, so life groups, that's the structure that we have in place where you meet every couple uh, weeks for fellowship really, a group of people from the church that you eat meals with on a, on a regular basis for just the sharing life together, enjoying one another. And then T cells, the focus here is on close friendship, accountability, example, uh, really being good, biblical friends to one another, but with the, An intentionality to it. Um, Class number four, I said one thing that's really important for you to understand from the beginning is the fact that when we do these groups we're not going to have a script to follow. So it's not going to necessarily just be I give you a curriculum and you complete the curriculum. Uh, Gospel care is improvisational. Your ministry to a friend may be built upon your biblical knowledge, wisdom, life experience, ministry experience, and the knowledge of the person and situation. But the words you choose to speak and the actions you choose to take are not predetermined. They're improvised in the context of a relationship. There's no script for gospel care. So this would be the quote where some of you are going to probably start getting worried because I'm trying to explain that I'm not going to give you a script to follow in the T-cells. And uh, one of the reasons for that is sometimes if you have a curriculum, it can be helpful. But on the other hand, it can be, um, there can be some disadvantages to that in that you think if I just do the curriculum, uh, then I, I did a biblical friendship. And uh, so your friend might be about to get divorced, but you're like, you don't even know that, but you're like, wow, we finished Fundamentals of the Faith. Wasn't that an awesome discipleship time? And it's like, well, it's neat that you know the book of the Bible now, uh, but hopefully this relationship would be a little stronger and uh, actually help the friend not get divorced, and you know that, and be able to provide counsel and care there. Class number five, uh, I said we're going to be putting a special opportunity in place towards the beginning of next year. We're calling T-cells, where we're giving you the opportunity to practice what you're learning, Uh in this class. And so they're gonna be groups of three to four people and these are gonna be groups that you sign up for where you meet about 20 times over the course of the year for the purpose of discipling one another. And the big takeaway from that is that these are gonna be groups that you sign up for and they have a beginning and an end. So they last about 20 weeks. So this is where uh, some people might get confused because someone might say, I have six friends that I meet with already and we do all this stuff that you're talking about. Is that a T cell? And the answer is no. Is that a good friendship? Yes. Is that something that we think is important for you and that we're so happy that you're engaged in? Totally. But is that a T cell? No. Why, how can I say that? Well, think of T cells like a basketball league. So I can go to the basketball court with my sons and play. And and then there's a youth league on the court beside us. Are we part of the league? because we're playing at the same court. No, we're not. We're practicing basketball and and shooting. Um, You might say, but you're doing the same thing as the people in the league. And I'd say, yeah, that's great. Um, But that is something specific, the league. That's something that you actually sign up for. Um, Now, what if I sign up for the league and they say you have to wear wet red when you come to practice? But I say, I like to wear yellow. They say, that's great, I'm glad, but for this league, for whatever reason, this is the way we're going about it. If I don't want to do it that way, that's okay. I'm just not part of that league. Um, So T-cells are a little like a league, in a sense, in that we're going to provide some structure to do this kind of intentional friendship, discipleship here at the church. But part of providing structure is, this is the part a lot of people don't like about structure, is that there's structure. So it's hard to provide structure without structure. And so if that structure isn't helpful to you, then you know what you would say? You'd say, I need to find another way to accomplish the same objectives. And and if you're accomplishing the same objectives, I I think we would all say, amazing, that's great. Because the goal is not the structure, the goal is actually the objective. Um, and so nobody's going to be like, oh, you have a biblical friendship where you're really holding each other accountable, and you're like getting, you're really helping each other grow in Christ, but you didn't do it through this particular structure. Oh, no, that's terrible. I can't believe it. No, that's, that's not what um, anyone's going to say. We're going to say, wow, that's wonderful that you have a biblical friendship and you're able to do all these things, but this is a structure that we're putting in place here at the church to help. Helps help. Um, Class six, that was the last class. What are T-cells? They're groups of three to four people where you get together to help each other change and grow and that's just the same as all the rest. Um, So that's what T-cells are. Any questions about that? It's okay to have questions. I have lots of people have questions. But if you have any questions about that, please just ask me. So, yeah, there we go. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So life groups, of course, are a place where you're going and getting fellowship with a bunch of other believers and uh, actually gathering some information that will be helpful even in discipleship and friendship. And uh, James is asking, um, when it comes to these T-cells, are you going to be signing up to do that with people in your life group? Is that the question? Right. Yes, it's going to be open to anyone signing up, and uh, it may be that you'll be in the group with people in your life group, or it may be that uh, for some reason you're not. Um, so that, that that's probably how it will end up working. Um, there are some advantages to the, the doing it with the people in your life group because the 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 time you have in your life group, you're actually developing a relationship that will help you in the um, discipleship, the accountability of the T cells, uh, but we're not gonna just limit it to that, it has to be uh, like that every time. All right, that's a good question. Yeah, if you have any other questions about what they are, it's kind of gonna be hard for us to do it if we're not all um, understanding what they are, so please don't, uh, Please don't ever be scared to ask a question, yeah? So, so you, you mentioned the concept of the lead. Is it possible to convert uh, uh, a group as, as a meeting to that lead, or is that, is that contrary to the vision? Yeah, that's a great question. So one important thing to know is, if you have good friendships with other people, where you're meeting and really helping each other grow, and it's really... Um, doing a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here, what I would say is, that's great. You know, that's not, that's not something you have, should feel bad about. That's something you're allowed to do. <laughs> you know, that's, don't have, nobody has to allow you to do that. That's wonderful uh, to do that. So the T cells will be something new that you're signing up for that will go about 20 weeks. And so you might be able to, I'm sure you're gonna be able to say to uh, the elders, hey, we have these, three or four guys, um, we've been doing this already, what do you think about us doing this in this environment? And then that would be a good conversation to have with the elders, I think. um, It will be, um, so one thing that's really helpful about structure is that it provides some structure, but one thing that I don't personally like about structure is when the structure becomes more important than the actual reality that you're, In you know like um, and I know that's sort of how the world works but there are sometimes you're going through admin and you realize this particular admin that I'm doing here has nothing to do with actually this situation so we're going through the adoption process of some of the things that are happening in that the structure they have to do it because the structures it's the law but it's like wow this is not anywhere related to this particular situation so I don't think at church as we put structures in place that we have to be the government like we can also hear the particular situation and think about how to how to do it best in that particular situation yeah Yes, I have a particular answer to that um, but I'm not sure that everybody's going to like it so I'm going to wait to say it <laughs> until I'm totally sure that my answer is a good one. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great question but I'm going to vet my answer to that a, a little more so that if, if it's unliked I can really be confident that I, I know what I'm talking about. All right, so how's that for a non-answer? OK, that's what T cells are. They're a structure that we're putting in place to help you um, engage in intentional discipleship. Hopefully, you don't, you, you, some of you uh, won't need that structure, but a lot of us will. I'm, I'm excited about being part of it. Um, now, the one question we might have is exactly how do we do all that? And that's one of the reasons why we're working through this on uh, Sunday mornings. And so you're going to really want to be paying attention in, the, in these classes because all this talk that we're doing, and this is important, especially, um, yeah, f- for structure-oriented guys, this book that we're reading is not disconnected from what you'll be doing in T-cells. So like literally all this talk over the past few weeks is the how. Um, so if, if you ask me how do I lead a T cell, I, I would probably say listen to these talks and read the book, uh, which I think is sometimes hard for us because it seems scary. Uh, it would be easier just to have a list of, um, OK, I read this book. We finish the book, it's completed. Um, and, you, and there's no problem with reading a book and completing the book, don't, don't misunderstand. The, the problem is if you think that reading the book and finishing the book is exactly the same as what we've been talking about here on Sunday morning. So the book is like a means that you might use to accomplish what we've been talking about here on Sunday mornings. And so it's really important that you're listening and processing how to apply what we're talking about on Sunday mornings to the actual uh, process of discipling someone else. And so I want you to be in this group, and I want you to think, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. That's okay. Because then you're going to be forced to go back to all that we've been talking about, and ask yourself, how do I actually do this? How do I actually ask questions that will move this conversation forward? How do I actually interpret what people are saying to me and help them and help communicate it to them in a way that they'll see what the Bible teaches about this particular situation? And so when you go back, when you're in that situation and you're a little scared, you're like, I don't know how to do this. I know how to uh, just you know, teach somebody the books of the Bible, but I don't know how to actually sort of get into there, you know get into a a friendship where we can talk about what's going on in our hearts when you're you're wondering that then you can go back and think about this process that we've been laying out here on Sunday mornings and so we've said what do you do first you seek to build a relationship by really caring about that person in your t-cell and uh So if you ask me, what do I do? I might say, really love the person. And um, if you need me to make a list of how to love them, that's going to be a little more challenging, because it's like an individual person. I'd say, look at the cross, and look at Christ, and 1 Corinthians 13, and and seek to really do that with these people that you are building this friendship with. Second, then you're going to ask good questions, and you're going to listen to the answers. And you're going to think about them, and you're going to try to get these intentional conversations going. Third, you're going to begin to consider the data that you've gathered, and you're going to seek to interpret it biblically. And then last week, in our discussion of the book, at least we talked about serving the other person through prayer and through actually uh, showing mercy and and getting involved in their lives. And that's not the end of the process. We're going to give you. We're going to talk more about all this, but this morning I thought real quickly um, I could just pause and go more big picture again and summarize those four qualities our four steps by talking about one quality. And the reason I want to do this is because when you look at those four steps that I gave you, uh, build a relationship, ask good questions, consider the data, serve the other person, really those are just practical steps to help you live out this one quality. And, and that makes this quality really important because the reality is if you don't have this quality then all the steps i can give you uh, to building this kind of relationship are not going to work this quality needs to be true of every t-cell leader and of every one of us you need this quality i'm going to argue this quality isn't optional to not have this quality is sinful and i'm talking about a quality the bible calls hospitality So Romans 12, 13 can be our key text. Um, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 13. Well, actually, you can begin up in verse 10. Uh, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. And I just want you to highlight that last phrase. This is a command to practice hospitality. Now, what does that word mean, hospitality? And we have to talk about what it means because lots of different ideas come into people's minds when they hear the word hospitality. So what's hospitality? The word means love of strangers. So for some people, When they think hospitality, they think about having someone over for a meal, and then maybe that friend will have them over for a meal later. But biblically, hospitality is bigger than that. Uh, The word used in the New Testament comes from two Greek words, philos, xenos, love and stranger. Biblical hospitality is the love of the stranger. So you've heard of xenophobia, this is the opposite. A stranger is someone you don't know very well, someone who doesn't naturally have the normal, open access into our personal lives or our communities without some assistance, which is a lot of people nowadays, actually. I think we have a lot of strangers in our lives. And love having to do with uh, concern and affection. Love assumes a desire for a relationship, wanting the other person's best, looking out for the other person's good. So hospitality is not simply having nice conversations with people who are already close to you, but it's pursuing people who aren't. And I say pursuing, to quote John MacArthur, the literal meaning of this particular phrase in Romans 12:13, practicing hospitality, is actually pursuing the love of strangers. In other words, he writes, we're not only to meet the needs of those people who come across our path, but we are to look for opportunities to help, and not just help, really, again, love. And this is so important. It's this heart attitude that's essential for biblical hospitality, and I think it's easy to miss. Because when we think hospitality, we often think being nice or polite, or we think about doing stuff for people. Someone's written, the word hospitality may bring to mind a hospital or the hospitality industry. Both would be appropriate associations. In both hospitals and hotels, a guest or patient is offered a place to sleep and food to eat. That's what we typically think of when we hear the word hospitality, room and board offer for free. But biblical hospitality is more than room and board. The word hospitality can be found in the ESV Bible four times. To summarize these verses, they show that hospitality is both affection and action, receiving and loving a stranger. And so you might ask, why is this distinction important? And the answer is that it's possible to offer all the components of hospitality, food, a bed, a shower, without love, but this is not biblical hospitality. Anyone can do acts of hospitality, the outward dimension, but there's an inner dimension of hospitality that requires a change of heart. First Peter 4, 9 says we're to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. If we grumble or complain while giving food or lodging to someone, we've not truly shown biblical hospitality. This is because hospitality is the glad reception of the stranger. Hospitality engages the stranger with both our hands and our hearts. And really it's the heart part that I'm wanting to get at. Just the the basic attitude that drives doing things in hospitality. That's what I'm trying to talk about. Because to appreciate what we're trying to do in T-cells, you have to appreciate the importance of having a heart that moves towards strangers, that wants to bring strangers in, that wants to welcome the stranger and make them a neighbor, that, that, which doesn't really, not a really good illustration in our day, because we barely know our neighbors, but to make them family. I read somewhere this week, we tend to think of hospitality as a single action that is pursued occasionally, as if we were in some kind of quota system. I, and maybe you also think that if we do something hospitable every once in a while, that we've checked off the box for the month and are free to go back to our private life until we feel some measure of guilt again. But for the Christian, now this is the line, hospitality is not just an act to be performed, it is a posture to be assumed. And I'm talking about that posture, having a posture of hospitality, like a hard attitude that is moving towards strangers to bring them into the family. A little uh, personal insight to help you understand what I'm trying to get at. By temperament, I am happy not to pursue strangers. So if you asked, I mean, from babyhood, I'm running away from, from strangers and hiding behind my mom, you know. Uh, I, I was somewhere new the other day, and uh, th- my wife pointed out someone to me that I don't know very well and suggested, why don't you go up and talk to them? And I was like, oh, man, I would so much rather just sit here in this room and be quiet by myself. I'm totally happy to just sit here in this chair and not know anybody. <laughs> That's my natural personality. When I go into a coffee shop, I don't really naturally want to become friends with a barista. Um, or at least I don't, want to, I don't want to have to work at it. But I have to look at the scriptures and say, okay, we don't all have to have the same personality, of course. But there is a basic biblical right and wrong when it comes to my attitude towards the stranger. And uh, so it's not okay for me to live a life just by myself, being nice to my family without any concern for the stranger. Because that is actually the opposite of hospitality. (laughs) Um, And if we're going to be hospitable to strangers, one place we should start is the church. If we're not not hospitable to one another, then we're not going to be hospitable to other people out in the world. And so one way we might try to describe life groups and T-cells is that life groups are where you're trying to learn to invite the stranger into your home, and T-cells are where you're trying to invite them into your heart, and they're gonna be inviting you into theirs, which is risky and scary and difficult. So one problem with hospitality, real hospitality, it is basically the opposite of being comfortable. <laughs> you know, so like, they like, if you're trying to pursue hospitality and comfort at the same, you know, at the same level, uh, no one of them is going to win. It's just not going to be comfortable to love strangers. And so why is this important? Um, Let me just quickly, since my time is already almost up, I want to just quickly remind you of several things we see as we look at the Bible about hospitality, which I think will help you understand why this is important. And I'm going to do this really quickly, and you can think about this more later. Um, But one, hospitality is actually not a minor theme. It's talked about a lot in Scripture. So if God gave us a command once to do something, that would be enough. Um, But this is something God talks about a lot in the Bible. So let me just give you some references uh, that use the word and others that highlight the concept. So if you go to the earliest book of the Bible, Job. Job, or at least it's the earliest in terms of, um, yeah, most likely when it was written. But Job 31, 32, this is one of the ways that Job demonstrated his righteous character. He says, I have opened my door for the traveler. And he's talking about, uh, to his friends, he's like, how can you say that I'm not righteous? Look at me. I've shown hospitality. Uh, Then, of course, Genesis. You have hospitality illustrated with Abraham. Abraham shows hospitality to three men in Genesis 18. And then you know what happens after that? God affirms his promise to Abraham. He's like, I am going to give you uh, the children that I I, I spoke of er earlier. It's in Job, hospitality. uh, Actually, Sodom later, Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be judged. Ezekiel's going to come back and talk about how they didn't show hospitality. It's in the law, Leviticus 19.34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were stranger in the land of Egypt, for I am the Lord your God. It's in the prophets, Isaiah 58.7. I don't have time to read all these, but you might write it down. We see the importance of hospitality in in the gospels. I'm going to come back to that one. The epistles, uh, there's the passage we read in Romans 12.13. There's 1 Peter 4.8 and 9. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And even there, you can see that Peter is not just linking hospitality with people outside the church. He's actually He says, love one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without, without grumbling. And there's a few others. Hospitality is important because a failure to, to love the stranger is not... Uh, just a personality issue, or just like, hey, that guy's rude. That's a rude culture. It's actually disobedience. And it's uh, second. We could say it's not just frequently mentioned in Scripture. It is emphasized. It's like an important duty in Scripture. Um, one, and I could show you that in a, a few different ways. But one simple way to show you is when Jesus is asked, "What does it mean to love your neighbor?" So that's the you could say the second greatest command, right? Love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. And someone comes to Jesus, he's like, but who's my neighbor? What does it mean to love my neighbor? And so Jesus goes to explain what it means to love your neighbor, and uh, he talks about radically, risk, and in a risky way, sacrificially loving someone you don't know, that you, actually uh, someone that you would consider an enemy. So, uh, And I'm talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. John Calvin has said, Christ has shown us in the parable of the Samaritan that the term neighbor includes even the most remote person, and therefore we're not expected to limit the precept of love to those in close relationships. Uh, It's a, a duty that's talked about a lot in scripture. It's an important duty. It's not something that we can be neutral about. Paul says we need to pursue it. That was Romans 12, 13. Pursue hospitality. And why would he say pursue? Probably because it's not something that happens unless you make a conscious, deliberate decision to go after it. Um, Most people will notice if you are mean to your kids. Most people won't give you a hard time for not loving strangers. Most people, they don't don't get upset if this quality is missing in your life. It, It requires time, it requires a priority shift, and that's why Paul says, pursue it, practice it. It's not just a fourth, it's not just a command for females in the Bible, and that's kind of important to know. I had a friend who wrote an article, biblical hospitality, the qualification for male spiritual leadership. How's that for a title? Biblical hospitality, the qualification for male spiritual leadership. And where does he get that from? He gets that from 1 Timothy 3.2, Titus 1.8. You are actually disqualified as an elder if you're not hospitable. Um, The early church Fathers considered this quality so important, they said things like, it is so necessary, a lack of hospitality is a disqualifying sin. Uh, As we look at this in scripture, it's an important duty, it's a duty, it's an important duty, it is uh, something we can't be neutral about, we have to pursue it. It's not just a command for ladies. Uh, Fifth, it's not just a command for people we like either. The, the, the early church contrasted biblical hospitality with worldly hospitality by saying worldly hospitality was ambitious. And so the idea is you would identify suitable people to whom one would give aid um, and show them hospitality because it was expected that suitable people would be able to return the favor. That's even how the Romans did adoption, right? They adopted adults who they had already proven themselves. And they would adopt them as a way of bringing honor to themselves. But Christian writers emphasize that Christian hospitality reached out to people least likely to be able to return the favor. And uh, one of the reasons they did that was because Jesus commanded us to love our enemy. But uh, also you can think about how the early church struggled with this. Um, James, James chapter 2, you went through James as a church. Um, James has to come after the church of uh, refugees, basically, and say, hey, guys, when a rich person comes into your, to your um, church, you're, like, showing them so much love, but the poor guy comes in, and it's like he doesn't even exist. And he's saying that's not how biblical love is to work. But, and, you, you know, having worked with the refugees, you totally understand why they do that, because uh, the, every rich person that comes in is, like, an opportunity to, like, actually for protection, for future security, and a poor person who comes in is just... Um, potentially a drain on the little resources you already have. And James is saying, well, and you know, when you're in that situation, you're kind of like, I can understand why people work this way. But James is like, that's not how believers can work. And this is why. So biblical hospitality is not just for people that have something to give us. This is uh, something that is um, for even people that are difficult and going to make our lives more difficult. One reason they were committed to this is because they learned the importance of hospitality by looking at Jesus. And so if we look at Jesus, I guess this would be six, we see the importance of hospitality. One, through the pattern of his life. So Jesus's whole ministry was basically an act of hospitality. Uh, You could work your way through a gospel. I once worked my way through the gospel of Mark. Here are some examples of Jesus's commitments to to the stranger. He took physical risks to love the stranger. You remember the, the leper who comes to him? Jesus touches him, and that's risky. Uh, he was interrupted to love strangers. He was preaching, 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 and the roof, um, you know, sort of like starts falling on his head on the heads of everybody in there. And so he's right in the middle of an a, a intense discussion with Pharisees who are judging him, and he's interrupted in the middle of it. And what does he do? He's thinking of the stranger's good. He put his life on the line for the good of the stranger. It's actually in Mark chapter three. He sees this stranger who's got the withered hand, and he sees these Pharisees who don't care, and Jesus knows the Pharisees are uh, hostile to him, but he's like, what are you guys doing? And then after that, Mark says uh, that actually the Pharisees started planning to kill him from that point on, or they wanted to kill him from that point on. His family thought he was crazy for his commitment to the good of the stranger. This is Mark three twenty and 21. His mom and uh, brothers and sisters are come to him, and they're like, uh, Jesus, um, he's not even eating. He's not even having time to eat because he's, he's so wrapped up in the good of others. It ends up causing him to be kicked out of a community and mocked in Mark chapter 5. And those are just a few examples. I think you could come up with your own. But Jesus' whole life was characterized by a pursuit of strangers. Um, I think one of the... Uh, one of the uh, most, well, a good illustration of that is when, after John the Baptist had died, and um, because we're going to talk about John the Baptist today, and Jesus wants to get away with the disciples to be by himself, and this whole crowd pursues him, and you just think you're purposely trying to get away for some time by yourself, and this whole crowd of selfish people who only want to do, to use you, really, to get something for themselves, come, be so hard, so easy to lock the door, and yet Jesus is looking at them and moving towards them, even when they Interrupt him in those moments. So you could see the importance of hospitality, looking at Jesus's life. But also, the second way you see the importance of hospitality is by looking at the gospel itself. There's a sense in which the whole gospel is an example of God's hospitality. Um, Ephesians chapter two. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then finally, ultimately, hospitality is about worship. So, And I can't say it better than John Piper, um, but he says... He says, what does hospitality have to do with God? That is the question. And he gives this really long answer. Uh, You should look it up. And then he ends, hospitality is a God-appointed duty that we should pursue with a happy heart towards sometimes difficult, strange people because we are overwhelmed with what God has done for us and with a desire for his glory. And so this is not about trying to be a nice person or just a polite culture. The motivation for hospitality has to do with God's hospitality looking back and being amazed and impressed down to your core by what God has done in your life, how you were this foolish, disobedient person, and God stepped out and reached out to you at great cost to himself, saving you, not because of how good you were or anything you had to give him, but simply because of his mercy and then showering benefits upon you that you didn't deserve. So looking back on that, looking impressed, looking forward and being impressed by the fact that all of eternity, God's going to be showing hospitality to you. <laughs> uh, or it's going to be, at least we're going to be rejoicing in God's hospitality. He's brought the strangers. He's made them sons. Um, and uh, then even looking at your life right now and being amazed at, the, at, at what God's doing in your life, how he loved you, the stranger, and adopted you and made you his child. So there's a lot of reasons to pursue hospitality. And one great place to do that is here at church. Because uh, we, we uh, are family, but we don't always know each other like family. And we are one in Christ, but we don't always know each other uh, like that. And so we might know a lot of um, kind of external facts about one another, um, but we want to be people who are moving towards those we don't know so well with a desire to uh, really live like brothers and sisters in Christ. And honestly, that's one of the things I want us to learn to do in these T cells. So they're going to be hard to understand all these little steps I'm giving if, like, your basic posture, your basic heart attitude isn't, I want to, I'm willing to be uncomfortable and uh, move towards someone else that, maybe doesn't have the same personality as me, maybe they do, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Someone who likely, if I really get to know them, is gonna, it's going to be fun, but it's also probably going to be some challenges uh, with this desire to love them and sort of bring them into my life and for me to be brought into their life as well. So um, that might mean you know, you're, you're, you're with someone and you're, uh, like, this is amazing. I just love being with this person for 20 weeks. Or you might be with someone and you're like, wow, we're really different. And it's really uncomfortable to sit here. And I'm kind of bored talking right now. That's okay. That's not like, oh, wow, this is not comfortable. I guess this is bad. Hard doesn't always mean bad. Hard sometimes just means hard. And, uh, Biblical hospitality a lot of times brings an incredible amount of joy into your life because you're obeying God and you're, you're developing family-like relationships with people you didn't have before. But the process of getting there is not always like, uh, hey, hey, this is, this is what I, the, the top number one thing I wanted to do at this moment was ask you questions about, deep questions about your, your heart. But I have this desire for God's glory and this understanding of the love God's shown me that is motivating me to push back past how I feel at this particular moment to do something that might be a little uncomfortable and hard so that uh, you can benefit and uh, so that the kingdom of God can advance. All right? Uh, I think um, we're going to get together in groups for about 15 minutes. Do we have 15 minutes? Yeah, we do have 50 minutes whether Isaiah is going to take us to the next level here. We are almost to the point where you don't need me to come up here to do what's next. So I think Pastor Josh may just release you next time to do what you know you're going to do, which is to get into groups. Uh, Let's shoot for around eight people, and you have a list of questions there. Uh, I numbered the questions, uh, thinking that that might be able to help you a little bit to say, hey, let's focus in on this question. So I'm not going to do that for you now, but in 15 minutes, you're not going to get through all of them. So go ahead and skim through. You might find some questions that you find uh uh the most intriguing and all gather us together at the end